Hello, this is Marissa, and you're listening to the Well Living Podcast. This is our fourth episode, and I'm pretty excited about that. I am currently sitting in my living room. Everybody from my family is still gone. My dogs are taking naps, and yeah, it's just a little bit before noon when I'm recording this, and I don't know if you can hear it, but maybe um, the microphones are picking up the wind chimes outside. I got our house all cleaned this morning, everything wiped down and vacuumed and dishes put away, my clothes put away, and just kind of letting the house air out. And it's a really nice day outside. Um, I can see Mount Emily uh, from where I'm sitting, and there's still quite a bit of snow up there, which is really good. Um but it's probably in the 40s down here and the sun shining there's a blue sky a little bit of a breeze but it's a really nice day and so I've just been enjoying the morning took my dogs for a little drive while I went and got something yummy to drink this morning and yeah just really just soaking it all in I was taking some deep breaths before I started recording this just because I really never know what I'm going to (laughs) say during these um, recordings. And so taking some deep breaths and just getting centered in myself and just soaking in what's around me before I do it is really helpful for me because then I don't go into panic mode and freak out about what I'm trying to say. But on that note, today I wanted to talk a little bit about the breath and the brain and the body and just kind of how that all goes together and um, teach you how to breathe, which might sound funny because you're like, Marissa, I breathe every single day. I know how to breathe. That's something my body does on its own, which is very true. But depending on what type of state we're in, mental state, um, even physical state, our body breathes differently. And in order to get really great breath and consume the most oxygen, we have to activate the lower part of our lungs. So um, some of you have probably heard of conscious discipline, um, especially if you have school-aged children and you're in the Eastern Oregon area. Um, It's definitely something that's taken off all across the nation, but Eastern Oregon has um, really taken flight with conscious discipline. And what it is, is it's a mental health promotion curriculum and it was created by a woman named Dr. Becky Bailey and really it was designed to be used in the schools. So there's so many concepts that go into conscious discipline but it really comes down to breath, your brain, and community, like a conscious community. And her curriculums, she has, it's like literally so broad. There's so many things that um, entail all of the things that, all of the things that she teaches. But Um, She created them specifically for schools and what our community is doing, um, especially at Yellowhawk Tribal Health Center where I work, as we're figuring out ways to incorporate conscious discipline into the type of work that we do, so into the healthcare system. Um, When I first started working at Yellowhawk, I was working in alcohol and drug prevention and that's when I started learning about this um, from a couple women, um, Annette Chastain and Ashley Harding. They're both native women. Ashley's Navajo and Annette is from the Warm Springs area. 
And she's also um, a licensed clinician. She's a trained conscious discipline um, facilitator. So she works with a lot of different areas in the Northwest, um, including tribes, to start spreading the knowledge that conscious discipline has to offer. And she's just so phenomenal. I was just telling Ashley the other day that I really, whenever she talks to her next or whenever they're going to chat next, that I would just like to be present because Every time that I just have a conversation with her, I learn so much. And her presence and her grace just being around her is so um, perpetuating. Like it just, I don't know, it just consumes you in a good way. Um, And I just really enjoy talking to her. She's full of knowledge and insight and just awesome. I would love to have her on the podcast at some point. So putting that out there now. Um, But... I guess what I'll start by saying is when we breathe, we tend to breathe from our upper chest. So when somebody says, take a deep breath, we usually are taking that from our shoulder area, the front of our chest, and we're lifting our shoulders up towards our ears and dropping them when we um, exhale. What conscious discipline teaches us, and even like other meditation philosophies um, when we want to take a deep breath we want to inhale and when you inhale I want you to push your belly button out away from your rib cage away from your spine so you inhale and your belly fills up like a balloon and when you exhale you contract that belly button back towards your spine So what this is doing is activating the lower parts of our lungs and our diaphragm. And when we inhale like this, it actually gives us five times more oxygen than what we get when we're breathing from our upper chest, our upper lungs, right? And it's really common for us to breathe with the upper part of our lungs when we're in survival state, when we're stressed, um, when things are challenging. So... The other thing I think is that if you're not taught how to breathe like that, how to push your belly out and expand that belly and expand those lungs, we usually aren't doing that. We aren't breathing like that. I know that I wasn't before I started being conscious of how I was taking breaths. Um, And I really started picking this up even from yoga. Um, I have a couple yoga teachers that are constantly throughout class reminding you breathe 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 and I always love that because combining breath with movement is a whole different ball game Um, and it really allows your body to get into that peaceful flow state Um, but when we're talking about breathing or meditation that is one of the biggest keys I think that we miss is focusing on that breath and pushing that belly out and contracting it and letting those lungs breathe deeply Um, and you'll notice if you take several deep breaths like that continuously for like two to three minutes after you're done and you just let your body relax and breathe normally there's such a big high in your brain um, which is really interesting and that's because we're getting so much oxygen and our brain hasn't had that much oxygen so the other part of conscious discipline that I really love talking to people about, um, especially because I studied human development in college and I learned a lot about the brain and all these different facets and you know, psychology. What I loved about conscious discipline when I first um, was made aware of it was that 
it broke everything I learned in college down into layman's terms. So um, it just is so easy to explain to people the complexities of our bodies and our brains and how they work together. So the fundamental piece of conscious discipline is the brain hand. And what I want you to do is I want you to take your left hand and put it up in the air like you're gonna give a high five and point to the bottom palm of your brain, or of your brain, excuse me, of your hand, right below your thumb. And we're gonna pretend this is our brain and this part of the brain is your um, survival state. Okay, so your survival state consists of like your brainstem and our survival state has kept us alive ever since humans were created, right? If there's a lion coming at us, our survival state is what kicks in and I'm like, okay, I got to run. I got to fight this lion. What am I going to do? So fight, flight or surrender are the things that happen. Um, So if you think about other times that you might be in survival state, it could be when you're in an argument with your partner. It could be being in a fight, a physical fight. It could be um, not having enough food for your family. There's so many things that come down to survival state. And this is going to be different. This is going to look different for everybody because everyone has encountered trauma, but the level of traumas are different, right? So like my dad dying versus your dog dying could feel just as painful if that's the most pain that you've ever experienced, right? Some I know a lot of people that are very attached to their dogs. Most people cry when their dogs die and it's extremely painful because that that animal has been your companion for however long. So those kinds of situations can kick us down into our survival state. So the next thing I want you to do is I want you to fold your thumb in. So you should have four fingers pointing up and your thumb in um, like you're doing the number four, but you want all your fingers together and point to your thumb and say emotional state. So this is the part of the brain that's in between your ears and emotional state, I think is where a lot of us live most of the time, including myself. Um, And we'll talk about that. Emotional state in teenagers can be like, why do I have to do the dishes? I'm always doing the dishes, right? Okay, are you catching on? Emotional state can be um, getting upset with your partner because you're always doing the dishes and I'm really annoyed because you never do the dishes, even though maybe that's not true. Your partner probably does do the dishes, but you're feeling like you have to do more of the dishes most of the time, right? So it's like that whiny, complaining um, space um, things. It's when things aren't going our way. It is when we're, I'm trying to think of how to best explain this. And for some reason, my brain is blinking. Um, on how to best explain the emotional state. And for the record, we haven't been talking about conscious discipline as much, so I haven't been doing as much facilitation, but I'm teaching a parenting class um, starting next month where I'm gonna be talking a lot more about this. Um, Yeah, emotional state is like the neediness, um, the neediness, things not going your way. You're always right, so it's like being in an argument with your partner and not letting them win, right? You're like, no, you're wrong, I'm right. And that person that you're arguing with is probably feeling the same way. Um, So that's when you're both fighting an emotional state. Okay, so now I want you to take your four fingers and fold them down over your thumb. So now at this point, you could kind of see how this looks like a brain, I guess. And I want you to point at your four fingers that are now covering your thumb and I want you to say executive state. 
Okay, and the executive state is where our prefrontal cortex lives, right? This is your forehead. So the executive state is ideally where we want to be always. Um, that's where we're like thinking our best. That's when we can have time management. We can task prioritize. Um, we can have level head of conversations. We can initiate things. Um, this is where basically your brain is working at full capacity and you can do anything um, essentially. So I'm saying, you know, this is where we want to be all the time. And in a fantasy world, we would probably like to say this is where we are all of the time. So now what I want you to do is flip those four fingers back up. And this is what we call flipping our lid. Okay. And flipping our lid happens when we're in executive state and then say your daughter spills her cereal and her milk all over the carpet because she was eating her cereal in the living room and you didn't want her to do that because she knows that she's supposed to eat at the table in the kitchen. And now you're really upset and you flip your lid and you're like, are you kidding me? You know that you're supposed to eat in the kitchen. Why would you do this? This is now there's a mess. Now we're going to have to do this. And you're having a really hard time with it. Right. And you're, your heart's racing a little bit and you're freaking out. You're just freaking out. You're annoyed. You're pissed. You're just over it. Okay. So maybe in that situation, what we really would like to do as parents is be like, Oh, you forgot that you were supposed to eat in the kitchen and you spilled your cereal and now we made a mess. So what are we going to have to do next? Okay. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to clean this up. What do you think is the best way to clean that up? Right? We're going to be problem solving and executive state is where we can access those problem solving skills. When we're in our survival state, our emotional state, we're not able to do that. So as you can see, just me talking a little bit about this, and I'm really skimming the surface of um, what all of this really entails. We could go way deeper into that and maybe it'll be cool at some point to focus one episode on each one of those states so that we can dive deeper into what they look like. Um, but I hope that you can see just from me explaining this, where this can be valuable in the classroom, where this can be valuable in the healthcare system, um, where this can be valuable in all of our own lives. And that's one of the things that Dr. Becky Bailey talks about is that conscious discipline isn't working unless you're living conscious discipline. So me coming home, I could teach this stuff all day, but I can come home and I see the kitchen's a disaster and I just cleaned it last night and I'm really annoyed. Okay, where am I gonna choose to be? Am I gonna choose to be in that executive state and be like, it's okay, we'll just clean up the kitchen. Or am I gonna be in my emotional state and throw a fit about it and complain to my partner about how messy he is and I'm so annoyed? Like, don't you, why can't you appreciate me? When really like, no, maybe he was just in a hurry and he just was throwing some things around and he was planning to clean it up later in the day. But now I threw a fit about it and now he's probably like, oh, I'm not doing that because now, no, like I'm just not, I'm annoyed too. So it's really being conscious in those moments of how am I going to choose to react? It's, it's self-regulation. It's teaching self-regulation. And even like I, another good example is how do you act when you're in the car driving? Do you get road rage? Okay, if you do, when you yell and freak out at the car next to you with your windows rolled up and you're honking your horn and flipping them off, is that really solving anything or is or are you just reacting? And then if you think about it, how much energy are you really giving out 
to react about that and be upset about it when it's not solving the problem, right? Do you see where I'm getting at with that? It's really comes down to this self-regulation portion and being able to be self-aware and really think about the things that we react to. And this is where the breath work ties in. So in conscious discipline, they it's made for little children. So they have really fun little activities um, for kids to get engaged with. And some of those are breathing activities. And they have like the balloon, there's the star, there's the water faucet. There's all these different ways to teach kids how to breathe. So like the balloon is really simple. You put both your hands on top of your head and you breathe in and you lift your arms up and then you breathe out and you bring your arms down okay do you see how that can be really fun for a three-year-old or if you breathe in and then make a silly farting noise so what you were trying to do and I said that conscious discipline is a mental health promotion um, curriculum so it's not it's not we're not using conscious discipline to try and fix everything. We're using conscious discipline to create, um, to reduce the risk factors, to implement those tools before the crisis happens. So if I can teach a three-year-old on the first day of school, we're gonna do balloon breaths every single morning as soon as you get here. That's the first thing we do to start our day as a class. Okay, well then maybe when that three-year-old's really upset because their friend took their toy and they're kicking and screaming, we can say, hey, what do you think could be helpful right now? Do you think it would be helpful if we took a balloon breath? Let's let's slow down. Let's put our pause, hit our pause button and take a balloon breath. <sighs> okay, then we're teaching that child self-regulation. So when this child is 10, those things automatically are already kicking in. And we use these tools with like high schoolers. We use them with adults when we have groups. We have alcohol and drug counselors that are using conscious discipline. Um, There's so many things that, so many places that we're trying to weave these tools in. And as adults, we're learning these tools later, right? I didn't start learning about breath work until I was 21. So I'm having to go back over those 21 years and reprocess, retrain myself, rethink how I handle hard times. So what we're wanting to do is really start weaving these things in younger and younger so that as those children grow older it's instinctual their body knows how to calm itself down immediately now granted we're all going to have upset times it's not always going to be easy the world isn't going to go our way sometimes and we're going to be really upset and that's okay but then it's being conscious about it and slowing down and thinking about how could i have handled that situation a little bit better and is there a conversation that i need to have either with myself or with someone else about my behavior and as adults, that's really challenging for us. Um, I know that I get uncomfortable still when I have to have a difficult conversation with another adult. If something happened and they they bothered me or upset me and I need to be like, hey, you know, I really didn't appreciate it when you said this to me. Maybe you didn't mean it that way, but that's how I took it. And um, if you could not do that again, I'd really appreciate it. That can be really hard. And I like to call those courageous conversa- conversations, right? Being uncomfortable, and just having that hard conversation can be really um, essential in our growth. And also just like, I work with all adults 
at a healthcare facility and the amount of times I hear somebody talk poorly about another coworker instead of just going directly to that coworker that upset them, they're talking to somebody else about it. And it's like, okay, again, what are we doing to solve this problem? Is this solving the problem or not? No, it's not. And obviously we all do that. I do it sometimes, I know it because the thought of having that conversation is really uncomfortable. And I know that I'm going to have to be upfront and tell them something that is probably going to upset them when I tell them that. Or, you know, it's just, it's a really interesting concept to think about, I guess. And the biggest thing with all of this is if we want to teach our children how to have self-regulation, we as adults have to have self-regulation. So if I'm not modeling those things for my child, then they're not going to learn that. If we're driving in the car and I'm freaking out and have road rage, that's how my child's going to handle annoying situations while they're driving when they're 16 years old. Do I want that to happen? No, because it's not safe and that could put other people in danger. And sometimes, you know, people let their road rage really take a hold of them. And so I really want to be like, man, that person just cut us off. That wasn't safe. It really bothered me. I'm going to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And luckily I was self-aware and just being aware while I was driving that I noticed that and, you know, didn't feed into it or was able to dodge a wreck or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's always a work in process or gosh, why can't I talk today? (laughs) It's always a work in progress and can be, um, frustrating at times. And sometimes we get into places that I like to call depressive ruts. Um, and it was really funny because I was talking with a friend and she was just kind of saying, you know, like, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm having a really hard time and I think I'm depressed. And I said, are you depressed or are you in a depressive rut? Because there's, they're two very different things. And as humans, we go up and down, you know, like into the valley, up the mountain, into the valley, up the mountain. It's always a, a, a season, like we go through seasons in life, right? And sometimes those valleys can be really, really low. We don't know what we're doing. We're trying to figure out our next step. We're not in a good headspace. We don't want to be in that headspace, but we don't know how to get out and it just is what it is. And sometimes we just have to let ourselves be in those places until, you know, one day the sun starts shining and you're like, okay, I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. And like being in those little ruts is okay. And honestly, those are the times where I learn the most about myself because I can't control it. <laughs> and this was happening to me in the fall. And I was kind of on my last blog post, um, my little Saturday morning thoughts. I mentioned in there that I haven't wanted to be alone during this pregnancy and especially in the fall. And a lot of changes were happening in my body. A lot of changes were happening in my mind, you know, just so much change happening when you're pregnant and I just had to let myself be kind of in a crappy headspace and I didn't want to be there and I was really upset about it but I did what I needed to do I utilized a therapist I made sure that I was taking care of myself I made sure that I had time for baths I made sure that I was putting healthy foods into my body you know as you go through this journey of figuring out your rhythms and cycles you start to accumulate tools to help you and it can be the hardest to do to utilize those tools when we're in those ruts but when we do that's where we win that's where we um have the most uh success 
with having self-regulation and self-awareness because after over time you know things get better and that's just something that we always have to keep in our mind even when we're depressed like sometimes our brains just do weird things and we're depressed (laughs) and there's not really anything we can do about it there are times where we need to reach out to therapists we need to reach out to doctors and we need to utilize medication but there's also times where we can incorporate the tools that we've started to gather in our toolbox to help us get out of those times and the biggest thing is if you are depressed and you are utilizing um antidepressants or any type of psychoactive drug please make sure that you are talking to somebody because antidepressants were never made to be a band-aid fix and that is such a common misconception because in our healthcare system our doctors are really busy and they don't have the luxury of being able to spend a lot of time with us to explain things and really talk to us about what's going on Um, and that's not necessarily an individual's fault that's just a fault of our system and So if you are utilizing those things, please reach out to somebody that's close to you to talk about what's going on. Um, Utilize a therapist. Get active. Start incorporating some type of exercise, whether that be just vacuuming your house or going for a walk around the block or doing a full-on workout, yoga, um, anything, dancing, turning on a song and dancing. Force yourself to do those things because the best exercise for the brain is exercise. And we have to shift our mental state a drug isn't going to fix those things for us and that's something that i really had to learn early on in this journey Um, i've witnessed many people in my life think that antidepressants or sources outside of themselves were going to fix their problems for them and that is just not true and i only say that because i have experienced it Um, i've been on antidepressants and I didn't have the best um, outcomes the first time that I was on them because I depended on them. I thought they were going to fix me and that's just not how it works. And the second time that I utilized antidepressants, it was a whole different ballgame for me. So because I started incorporating these other tools, um, antidepressants are made so to help you get to a place in your brain where you can start to utilize tools to help you help yourself feel better and then eventually you want the hope is to wean yourself off of them with your doctor don't ever try coming off your antidepressants by yourself it can be really dangerous and send you into a really really dark place where we don't want anyone to be Um, again i'm not a doctor i'm just speaking from experience and from the knowledge that i do have about these things and about the brain and so I guess that's my hope in like talking to you guys a little bit about the brain and breath today and kind of how they coincide and what it means to really activate that lower belly breath because when we activate that lower belly um it allows us to process trauma it allows us to process those things that we're struggling with and it's not going to be an immediate fix it's going to be something that we will always be practicing and always be engaging to help ourselves I know that when I first started meditating, it was really, really hard for me. And I think the other biggest uh, misconception about meditation is like you feel really defeated because you can't stop thinking. And that's not the point of meditation. The point of meditation is to still have those thoughts come in. Our brain is always going to have thoughts coming in. That's just what it does. That's its job. 
So when you're meditating, you're really just focusing on that breath or focusing on an image, okay? When those thoughts start to come in, what you do is you go back to thinking about your breath. So either you can count, like breathe in, one is going in your head. Breathe out, two. Breathe in, three. Breathe out, four. Or you could use words. You could breathe in love, exhale fear, right? So by using these words or numbers or colors, anything that resonates with you and attaching that to the breath, that's helping us, helping our mind focus. And there's still going to be times where you're like, I need to check the mail. I need to make a grocery list. I need to pay this bill. All these things are going to be coming into your mind, but just coming back to the breath and focusing on that is what strengthens our brain, right? So I just wanted to start with this episode before I record recorded um, any meditations for those of you that are new to this, um, new to breathing, <laughs> as funny as that might sound, um, new to meditation, new to learning about the brain. I just wanted to kind of give a full recap about my um, perspective and my experience with it so that when I do go to record a meditation and when I do record the meditations, I am still going to walk you through that and be using my voice to help you shape your breath and um, be in your body. So I'll always be helping you. But again, I just wanted to give a little recap about just what I know and, you know, it's just me. I just like to ramble about things before. <laughs> I just like to be people, have, have people be a little bit prepared. Um, so with that, I hope that you were able to take something away from this and just, yeah, kind of start thinking about areas in your life where you do feel like you flip your lid, where, where, what are those times in your day where you're like just pissed? Something happens and you're just pissed. And how can you take little baby steps to work on that. And again, it's not going to be an overnight fix. I can sit here and preach about this all day and talk to you guys about this all day. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, when I come home and something happens that I didn't expect or didn't plan to happen, I can still flip my lid and I can still be shitty to somebody. And, you know, it's, it's just a learning process. It's not ever going to be perfect. And that's just the beauty of our lives. So with that, I'll wrap this up and say thank you for listening. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day.